Good evening. Welcome to the house of the Lord. You who are with us in flesh and you who are with us in spirit. How blessed we are to have the word of God. And especially in this church and especially in these times. This word is the anchor of our souls. Especially now when Israel fights for her life once again. Let's hear the word and believe the word. Our first reading tonight is from the 61st chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Probably, personally, some of the most precious words that Isaiah prophesied are in this chapter. And these were the first words that our Lord Yeshua, Jesus, gave in his first recorded public message in his hometown of Nazareth. He's fresh from the wilderness. He's done resisting the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He's already back in the Galilee. And the first recorded visit to a synagogue is this. And Luke tells us in chapter 4 that he opened up the scroll and it was given to him to read this prophecy. The first words of our Lord Yeshua in his public ministry. And Isaiah prophesied, chapter 61 and verse 1, that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to declare good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's where our Lord Yeshua stopped reading in the synagogue in Nazareth and sat down to teach the word. But Isaiah kept prophesying. Not only was it the acceptable year of the Lord, but this would be the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall depart and repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations, Verse 8 continues to say, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, 
so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. The second reading is taken from the book of Psalms 126. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouth were filled with laughter, our, tongue, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. gospel portion it's very familiar because you've already said it it's uh, the canticle again but repetition's a good thing please stand as we hear again Mary's song and Mary said my soul glorifies the Lord my spirit rejoices in God my saviour For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Well, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may not only be acceptable in your sight, but Lord may bless and encourage and strengthen your people this time. We do ask this so that your son Jesus will be formed in each one of us, be glorified and lifted up, and that each one of us may be light and salt. Amen. So, I um, 
to just say something about uh, two of the three passages. I don't want to exclude the beautiful Psalm 126, but perhaps without mentioning it or um, expounding upon it, maybe from the following remarks, you'll hopefully see how that beautiful psalm fits. I'd like to look at the Song of Mary, and uh, of course, it's a very beautiful, beautiful part of scripture. It's many times hard to preach on passages that are, are, are so well known, and uh, I don't know how many books or chapters and commentaries on Luke's gospel have been written about these verses, but surely reading the verses, yes, God is a God of surprises, and um, he doesn't always do things our way. In fact, he usually doesn't do things our way, and he usually doesn't uh, go along with our um, expectations. And when he so quote unquote violates our expectations, when he does things in a way that we think isn't proper or somehow leaves us out and favors somebody else, uh, then of course we get offended. And we um, can be very easily offended at God. Or we can spend quite a bit of time speculating and theo- uh, trying to do theology to figure out what is God doing? And of course, here we have the story of a very insignificant um, young woman from a, maybe perhaps from a good family, but not a notable family, uh, a young woman of low social status. We know that because uh, when she goes to the temple to offer a sacrifice after the birth of her firstborn son, she certainly doesn't have a lot of, a lot of money. And in fact, the story or the picture we get from Luke is, is somewhat different than what we have in Matthew. In Matthew, the family ends up with a whole lot of loot or a whole lot of money. But uh, Luke wants to show us a different side of the life of Jesus, that he comes from a poor family. And uh, sometimes when I go to Uganda and I mention this, I get a lot of pushback, actually not just Uganda and other places, because there is a certain attachment to the prosperity gospel. And uh, people don't want to think of Jesus don't want to think of Jesus as uh, being poor. And a good, very good example would be come from Anglican history, so we can tell on ourselves. Because in the 1850s, sorry, in the 1750s, God began to move, and he began to restore and revive 
and uh, to bring church folks back to himself. And uh, it happened through two Anglicans, George Whitfield and, and John Wesley. And in Wesley's case, you know, the Anglican establishment wouldn't let him use the churches. So he had to preach outside in graveyards or um, in factories or even in mines. And of course, for the establishment, the church establishment, you know, this is not the way things are supposed to happen. And here God visits a young woman, again, with no social status, nothing to make her famous. And he says to her, especially through, uh, through an angel, he commands, commands her in, in, uh, in Luke, it says, greetings, uh, you are highly favored. And she is commanded to rejoice. She's commanded to rejoice, meaning, wait a minute, you need to express joy because what is about to happen to you is certainly unprecedented. And this, these announcements that uh, come with the Lord commanding joy, we find them throughout the Old Testament. Find them in the book of Joel or, or certainly in uh, Zephaniah. And of course Mary, in her humility, in her confidence in God, she does rejoice. Yes, in fact, she rejoices along with Elizabeth. And as I mentioned on Wednesday, the, these opening chapters of the book of Luke remind me of a musical. Yes, like singing in the rain or My Fair Lady. You know, people are just walking along and something happens and the next thing you know, they start singing. I hate musicals. <laughs> I hate musicals, you know. And you would think this is a nice, good, happy musical. It is happy. It is. It's good news for some, but actually the same musical's got a dark side. It's bad news for others. And what Mary expresses in her Magnificat is um, I think something that uh, we should pay attention to and not let it just be beautiful poetry or even something you might say that uh, is uh, abstract because she first begins, she does begin by saying, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. So she rejoices, yes. And she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Well, yeah, who's Mary? Who's Mary to be special? Yes. Certainly by worldly standards, she is not special. And it kind of reminds me that uh, there's almost this human need, right? All of us want to be a little bit different. We all want to be noticed 
We all want to be popular, more or less, in one form or another. We all want to be treated differently. And when God does that, it's called grace. Yes, it's called grace. But what's dangerous is that when we get, we seek to be special in the eyes of the world, instead of letting us be special in the eyes of God or in that great cloud of witnesses. But Mary is given grace. She's given favor. Yes, she, again, for some unknown reason, God chooses her. God chooses what is insignificant. God chooses what is perhaps unknown. And it's always to confound the wise. By the way, that's God's calling on Israel. God calls Israel and the Jewish people not because they're smart or great or they won a lot of Nobel Prizes, which they have subsequently, or because they have an air force, or because they know how to make couscous better than any other country in the world. God chose the Jewish people according to the book of Deuteronomy because of their insignificance. Yes. And God chooses us, most of us at least, because of our insignificance in order to confound the wise. And so, there, um, Mary goes on. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Yes, his, she connects what's happening to her, yes, to others. Ultimately, she hints that this is going to benefit all flesh, but in the immediate, she knows that this is going to benefit Israel. He has performed his mighty deeds with his arm, and this is obviously a reference to the Exodus, where God saves Israel uh, with, an outstretched, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. Yeah. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. And in this passage, God is, he's, he's got two, you might say, he's doing two things. On one hand, he's a man of war. He is at war with those who are proud and those who are self-sufficient, yes, and those who are powerful. And here I should hasten to say that this isn't Marxism. And it's not class warfare, okay? This is, we're not reading the, the manifesto of uh, someone's socialist party, yes. It is not that being rich is bad. It's not that being powerful is necessarily bad. It's not that being influential is necessarily bad. It's that uh, more often than not, 
those who are in the, these positions don't always use their resources or their wealth, right, to help those who are less fortunate or to help the oppressed or to bring justice. And it doesn't make being, it doesn't make uh, someone who's poor somehow holy or somehow better in God's eyes. Because as we'll see in a minute, all of us are called to repentance. Even those who are poor, even those who may be oppressed. Yes. So those who are proud and those who are self, self you might say self-sufficient, God is at war. And according to this text, yes, God is in a sense pulling them down. Yes, it's not something that's happening in the past. It's something that started to happen, yes, in the past, but it still continues to our, it continues in our day. And why does God pull them down? Not to punish them not to, you know, somehow get revenge on people because they're wealthy and God's somehow envious. Again, this isn't Marxist, Marxism, and it's not Marxist theory. God, and, and this is what we see in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, God will humble the powerful so that they will turn to him and repent. Yes, he's not punishing them for the sake of punishment. Not punishing them because they happen to have money or position. And when they have money or position and they don't use it in the right way, that becomes, that becomes problematic. Yes. And so God is at work. He has shown favor to, again, this Jewish peasant girl who no doubt was pious, who no doubt was pious, because as I mentioned on Wednesday, and we've mentioned here before, is when ultimately she has to make the decision to say yes to that angel, it comes at a huge cost. She makes a very, very difficult decision, saying yes to God. And she doesn't merely say yes to God with all the suffering and misunderstanding that it will bring. She says yes to God with joy. She says, yes, I rejoice in God my Savior. I rejoice in God my Savior. And when she, she does say yes, she cert her heart is overflowing with scripture because many of the verses that uh, or you know, many of the, the phrases that we find in her response and the Magnificat these are phrases that come from Hannah's song this is the praise and joy that came out of Hannah when she learned she was pregnant yes with the prophet Samuel so here's a woman who knows scripture. Here's a woman who's, who can say yes to God under the most difficult circumstances. But again, she's a nobody. 
Yes, she's unknown. And uh, without a doubt, she had a great influence on her son, Jesus. And uh, he certainly had a model, a role model in his mother and in his father. But God uses those who are humble, oftentimes those who are, those who are insignificant, those who are not, don't, don't maybe have a high estimation of themselves or are not well thought of in worldly terms. And more often than not, these are, those are the kind of people that he partners with. And, and he accomplishes his purposes. Again, with what we would humanly think, this is just doesn't make sense. Why is he God recruiting such low quality people? And what uh, what I think is kind of critical to the way God at least works in this story and works throughout the book of Luke is two things. One, you may notice, again, let's go back to the place of joy. The place of joy. And notice how those who God so often chooses doesn't necessarily get offended. Why? Because when God works, yes, and God gives favor or God gives grace, they don't think of, they don't think, gosh, I must be special or I must be wonderful. And here I'm talking about being special perhaps in the eyes of the world or the way that our, our own broken selves, you know, might exaggerate our own importance. I must be really special. No, when God moves on Mary or Elizabeth or Simeon, yes, what we have, yes, is people responding with joy and responding with praise. And of course, if you just go through the book of Luke, you find that over and over again, yes, the theme of joy comes up and more often than not, it's connected with the Holy Spirit. See, Mary, Elizabeth, right? Uh, there's the story of Elizabeth, Mary, there, those miraculous births. Yes, the Holy Spirit is, of course, prominent. Jesus in Luke 4 sits in the synagogue and he opens his ministry with his mission statement. Yes, the mission statement in the book of Luke Yes, the key passage that's going to tell us what he's going to be doing or what Luke is going to be emphasizing throughout all his gospel opens with the words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is quoting what? Isaiah 61. And of course, later in the passage, we read about how God brings joy to the people. And we might recall how in Luke 10, one of my favorite verses in the, in the Bible, it says, after Jesus sends out the 72, 
It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that, or for this, was your good pleasure. Jesus himself. I don't know if there's any other gospel that talks, tells us that Jesus was full of joy, although the gospel of John does so indirectly. And the disciples, yes, when they return from the ascension, they go back to the temple where the gospel starts, and they're worshiping and full of joy. And we, Luke continues in the book of Acts, those early believers, they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they're full of joy. They're full of the Holy Spirit, and they're full of joy. Even in Acts 5, when they're being persecuted by the religious establishment. Or in Acts 13, where uh, Paul and Barnabas have to leave town because of local opposition. Yes, the disciples are filled with joy. They're filled with the Spirit. Now, why is all that important? Now, why is it important for the, the you might say, for the, the text that we just read? I think it's simply this. The reason Mary and so many others don't get offended and they can say yes to God in the most difficult circumstances, even when things don't make sense, right? Even when God sends the Messiah, you know, you need and not the Messiah you want, or the way God sometimes delivers us or answers our prayer the way that we really need, but not the way that we want. Yes, there's this confidence, right? There's this assurance. And where does that come from? That comes out of relationship with a living God. Yes, it comes out of a relationship with a living God. <clears throat> and what creates that joy? What creates that joy? The neurologists tell us today, it's attachment. It's when we attach ourselves to a person. Yes, that's where most likely we're going to <clears throat> find joy. And it's in that attachment or that connection and that relationship when we can say, I'm happy to be with you. I'm happy to be with you. I'm happy that you're here in this room with me. Okay, it's not a chore, it's not a burden. I'm not trying to be nice and be some kind of Christian and, you know. And should that not be our relationship with the Lord, right? That we are so attached, that we are so attached, yes, that whether it's in fellowship or prayer or worship or going to the Lord's table, yes, or serving the Lord you know, and uh, meeting the Lord in the poor and the oppressed, as we read in Matthew 25. Yes, isn't, yeah, isn't that, right, the attachment we want? And that attachment, that connection, that I'm, Jesus, I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to fellowship with you and the Father. Yes. I'm glad to be in your presence. I'm glad your presence is in my life. 
Yes, it's joy that creates that desire. It's joy that creates that, it really ends up creating that, uh, that connection. Now, we would say, oh, no, it's, it's faith and it's belief and it's obedience. And yeah, it's all those things. It's all those things. Obedience is important. It's very important. But we can be obedient and serve the Lord without joy or gladness. And you may remember that Israel was punished for such a sin. It tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that um, chapter 28, it says, uh, all these curses came upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe his commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign um, and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in a time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. Yes. So it's not only obedience. Obedience is important. It's not only having the right doctrine. The right doctrine is essential. The right teaching is essential. But what motivates us? What's a stronger motivation, motivator actually than our theology? Yes, it's what we love. What we love what, or what brings us joy? What brings us joy? Yes, will propel us, motivate us, Yes, allow us to go through difficulties, persecution, whatever it may be, right? And our relationship with the Lord has to be, what, yes, based on this joy, right? It has to be based on this joy. But the component that goes with it is the Holy Spirit. On one hand, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, it's a decision that we make. We can decide to be joyful. Yes, and God, of course, will give us grace and help to be joyful. We can decide to attach ourselves to Jesus and to enjoy his presence and to bring that presence into our life. Now, what does this have to do with the poor? What does this have to do with folks who are, you know, who are brokenhearted? Well, what is our, what is our passage in Isaiah? Yes, tell us. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yes, to, pre, to bring good news to the poor. Isaiah 61. Same verse that Jesus quotes. Yes. Now, how is Jesus bringing this, the, the good news to the poor? Yes. It's because he's filled or anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, with all due respect, and I say with all due respect to therapists, to social workers, to politicians who want to do well for, for everybody, yes, for psychiatrists and psychologists and all of those 
and in the proper context have their place. But they're no substitute for the presence of the Lord. They're no substitute, yes, they're no substitute, the healing, miraculous, yes, redemptive work of, and, and as we understand it now, yes, Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, this is the work of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, when God takes control of people's lives, when God begins to bring healing or restoration or understanding or there's deliverance. And by the way, this is not ever just personal about you and me. It has to flow out from us to our families, our churches, our cities, our counties, our countries. Not the social gospel, it's just the gospel. Yes, but it comes from where? It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, and when Jesus stands and he says to, uh, to he quotes Isaiah 61 and he talks about the acceptable year of the Lord, what is he talking about? He's talking that acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee, where every 50 years there is redemption. Of course, we know that because of complications in the, in, in, in the history of Israel, this, the, the Jubilee was probably never fully ever, yes, uh, implemented. But Leviticus 25 tells us that uh, this should be a time when those who are in debt or enslaved are released and set free, when those who've lost their land, yes, can return to their patrimony, to the land that the Lord gives them. This is understood as being redemption, right? Restoration to the way God originally intended. And when the Lord calls us to partner with him, Again, he calls generally a bunch of nobodies. But he endows us or fills us with that Holy Spirit so that we can do the ministry, yes, that Jesus did. And that's summed up for us again in Isaiah 61. Yes, but, but without the presence of the Lord operating in our lives and operating in the ministry, we can do some good things. I don't doubt it. But are we effective? Yes, in the most powerful way. Yes, in the most redemptive way that the Lord wants us to be. Again, he calls us into partnership. Yes, he calls us into partnership. And our attachment and that relationship and that presence of the Lord, in part, I would say, there's this dependence or this connection, not just with the spirit, but with joy. Yes, a certain confidence, a certain assurance that um, God uh, has our best and we can be grateful, we can be thankful. And by the way, I don't know who said it, maybe it was Eleanor Roosevelt or 
Anne Frank or I, I don't know, um, the, you know, the Colonel Sanders. I'm not sure. But, you know, I don't know who said it, and I, but I believe it. Yeah? The greatest way to be grateful to anyone, yes, or the greatest way to be grateful is to be joyful. Yes? Not to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? But to express joy uh, in a relationship. Again, it's, I'm so happy to be with you. I've been waiting all day to have this fellowship. I've been waiting all day to have this connection. Yes, that empowers us. That empowers us to do the ministry. Yes, to be, to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives. Yes, by healing the brokenhearted, at least as we read in Isaiah 61. And here's the P.S. that I forgot, because I didn't want, don't want to sound like again, if you might be poor or oppressed, that uh, you might find yourself, you might uh, think of yourself maybe, oh, oh, I'm only a victim, and it's those other people who are causing me, you know, this misfortune. The year of jubilee, the year of release, yes, which we find uh, in Leviticus 25, only begins after Yom Kippur. It begins with repentance. And once there's repentance, there is this release. Jesus in his teaching and his preaching, what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or can repent because Isaiah 61 is happening in and through me in and through me. And if you can lower yourself, humble yourself, it's good news. If you resist, well, it's not such good news. And the musical isn't so happy anymore. Yes. Joy. Joy that creates attachment, that creates relationship, that brings the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit into the lives of a community, of a church, yes. And uh, we live at a time when it's very easy to be despondent. It's very easy to um, lose faith. It's very easy to ask, where is God? And he doesn't care, and he's turned his back on us. And so we need that joyful assurance, you might say, more than ever. Not to be happy and clappy and silly, but again, to have this, again, this grateful confidence, yes, that no matter what happens, God has his best for us, and he is indeed at work in, this, in the world. I'm going to pray, and uh, I'd like to pray a prayer that came in the internet, came on my email today. And it came from our friends at uh, Pastoral Care Ministries. Yes, they were, they carry on the, the fine work of Leanne Payne. So if you put the prayer up, Keith or John.
So, and maybe we can pray this together. Holy God, we confess our separation from you. From the womb, we have suffered estrangement from your presence. And to this day, we are guilty of both apathy and rebellion. Lord, have mercy on us. We cry out to you, come Lord Jesus, indwell us, us be formed in your, nothing else will do. Join us together as your body that we may cry out with one voice. Make us a community that can reach those who are most devastatingly separated from you and all reality. Amen.